Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered. How about this group? Hall of Famer Tom Glavin. Chris Russo from MLB Network and Sirius XM, and also from Sirius XM, our buddy Mike Farron. But Tom Glavin won 305 games, two Cy Young Awards, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. We're just telling stories and talking about the Atlanta Braves. And the Hall of Famer joins us. Tom, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? We were just joking. Can you imagine? There was potential for you to be on the same line as Wayne Gretzky and the LA Kings. If you look back on it, can you imagine you could have played with Wayne Gretzky? I know, but fortunately for Wayne, he would have had to move to the wing. I would have played center. So um, (laughs) it might have changed his career. You know, know, it's like, like everybody, obviously you're a hall of famer. You're one of the greatest pitchers of all time, but like, the, the, when you look at the names of the guys you were drafted ahead of in the NHL, you're talking about guys who are, who are NHL Hall of Famers. You were drafted ahead of them. Yeah, I tell you, every time I run into Brett Hall and I have an opportunity to remind him that I was drafted ahead of him, I do that. <laughs> um, I don't I don't see Luke Robitaille all that much, but I did, uh, I did see him out in L.A. one time at Dodger Stadium. He invited me over to, to, to see the Stanley Cup. Uh, we happened to be in town when he had it, and I reminded him then that I was drafted ahead of him too. You know, the you know one of the cool things about going to the Hall of Fame is, you know, over the years watching you guys go in. Uh, when you look at John, you look at Greg, you look at yourself, and now the Braves are back in the World Series. But your era that you guys played and it was every year and we're watching on TBS and it, it was such a special time. Have you guys ever been able to like, be able to like really reminisce of just like to the greatness that, that was the Atlanta Braves back in the nineties? You know, that's a good question. I mean, I guess, you know, to some extent we do, I mean, you know, when we get together, and I guess that's one of the great things now about, um, you know, certainly Hall of Fame weekend. Um, but, you know, I'll see John and Greg uh, at a couple of golf tournaments during the course of the year, too. And, you know, we inevitably will sit down and have a beer or two and we'll talk and talk smack and all that stuff. And, 
you know, there are, I think a lot of our stories, obviously, that we talk about um, revolve around that time. And, and I think when you, if you were a fly on the wall to listen to the conversations, you would, you would realize how much fun we actually had playing together. Um, and then we had the added benefit of having some really good teams to go along with it. I don't know that we talk a ton about, you know, man, we were really good or what we did was really crazy or, you know, anything like that. I think we understand it and we appreciate it. Um, but I think that the bulk of our conversations are about, you know, golf trips that we made or golf courses that we played or stupid things, mostly that Greg did that we laugh about. So, you know, it's usually a lot of fun. And, and, and that's something that we don't see that much anymore. You guys played golf everywhere. You guys went, you know, if you weren't pitching that day, even if you pitched, I think some of you guys were playing that day. That that's something we don't see anymore. That that you guys you guys lived a life beyond just what your your profession was. Talk about that. Yeah, and and I think that's why we all got along so well is because we had that we had that in common. We all love playing golf, right? And you know, I know, uh, you know, I know John played golf um, on days that he pitched when he was a closer. Um, all of us always talked about trying it um, one time before start. None of us ever did. Um, you know, I know there were a number of years where, you know, obviously we clinched our division early and, you know, you're kind of running out the schedule in September and we would talk about, man, maybe I'm going to play golf before I pitch this time. But, you know, at the end of the day, we all had too much respect for the game and what we were doing and, and we just never did it. But, you know, there were times we, we got criticized for the amount of golf we played, but I can promise you, I'm going to say conservatively, 60% of our conversation on the golf course was about baseball. Um, you know, whether it was a series that we just played or a series, a series we're getting ready to play or, you know, somebody's struggling with something or, hey, how did you pitch this guy that I'm getting ready to face? You know, that kind of stuff. So it was, it was all, like I said, centered a lot of it around what we were still doing, but it was a release for us. And, and Bobby was great about it. Um, you know, Bobby would be the first one every day we'd get to the ballpark and see us and be like, all right, where'd you guys play today? Um, and it was, a, it was a great outlet for us because I think, you know, people forget and, you know, I loved having fun with my friends that I grew up with back in Boston that, you know, they'd call me and would be talking like, Hey, what are you doing? I'd be like, I'm on my way to work. And they'd laugh at me. And I'm like, listen, dude, it's, it's a job, you know, now I love my job and it's a better job than a lot of people have the opportunity to do. Uh, simply from the standpoint of how much I enjoy it. But when you're doing it every day, it's a grind. And the baseball season is a grind. And it, there's there's a lot of ups and downs emotionally, physically. So golf gave us an outlet in that. Um, and, I, and I think, to be honest with you, emotionally, it probably prolonged all of our careers because we had that. My favorite Bobby Cox story is Candlestick Park. Bobby Cox got thrown out before the first pitch. And it was hilarious because clearly it was a freezing night at the stick. He did not want to be there. And as, <laughs> as you remember, he had to walk down the right field line oh, yeah. to, get to the clubhouse. Bobby Cox got thrown out before the first pitch. It was unbelievable. Well, I can't blame him because we did convince Bobby, the starting pitchers, we convinced Bobby um, that in San Francisco, it, it was, it was just too cold to be out in the dugout. Uh, so he left. He let us starting pitchers stay in the clubhouse during the game, which was fantastic. But 
I'll give you one of my favorite Bobby, Bobby Cox stories. So we were back in the day before, you know, we had analytics. We just didn't call it analytics. Um, back in our day, you know, the starting pitcher would keep the pitching chart the day before he was going to pitch. And it was just a way for us to kind of track pitches, scout the opposing team. We're getting ready to play and all that stuff. So on the, one of these nights, it was early in the game, and there was a lot of bickering going back and forth between both dugouts with the umpire. And I went upstairs about the third inning to get a cup of coffee, and Greg was doing the chart. And I went up and I said, hey, doggy, uh, I said, there's a lot of bickering going on down there. Um, is, you know, is this umpire having a bad night? He's like, you know, not really. He's kind of missed some, but he's missed some for both sides. So it's kind of, it's kind of been pretty even, whatever. And I was like, okay. Two minutes later, Bobby comes up behind me to get a cup of coffee. And he asked Greg the same question. And Greg, right, without batting an eyelash, he said, oh, my God, Bobby, he's terrible. He's missed so many calls for us tonight. And he's just going on it. And as he walked out of the, he walked out of the club, I said, I said, Greg, what are you doing? And he said, he kind of smirked at me. He's like, what? I said, you know he's going to go downstairs and get thrown out of this game. Oh, he says, oh, I know. And on the next inning, bottom of the inning, starts arguing about umpire, about calls. You've been terrible all night long. And it was just, it was just inevitable. That is hilarious. You know, you know, I, I think about your career and, you know, one of the, you know, the great things about being on TBS all those years is that all of us around the country, here I am in the Bay Area, I got to watch, we watched you like every night. We got to see you, whether I was a kid or I, I became a professional and got to watch and, and to watch your game. And the thing that I wish so many pitchers today would like go watch your starts, your ability to control the baseball to where you could throw a strike or you could throw it right off the black, your ability to control the ball. And, 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 and now everybody just wants to blow everything by everybody. Just talk about how pitching has changed where you guys were like masters of the art. Now everybody is just about power. Yeah, look, I mean, we had to be, right? I mean, it was a different era. Um, you know, in today's game, everybody's bigger, faster, stronger. They throw the ball harder and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I struggle sometimes with whether or not that has equated to a better baseball game to watch. I don't know. I'm, I'm on the fence about it. You know, in our day, it was, you know, you had to command the baseball. You had to keep the baseball down. You stayed out of the middle of the plate. And if you didn't, you didn't last very long in the big leagues. And look, for me, a lot of what I did was out of necessity. I didn't throw hard. You know, when I got to the big leagues, I threw 90, 92 miles an hour. But it didn't take long for me to realize, especially after a 17-loss season, my first year in the big leagues, that I didn't throw enough strikes, that I didn't pitch ahead in the count enough. Um, and that winter, after my first big league season, that's what I did. That was the whole focus of my winter was I need to learn how to throw my fastball for strikes more often. And I came back the next year and I won 14 games and I had a much better year simply because my command was better. And then I realized, you know what, you need to add another pitch. And, you know, I was a fastball curveball guy. I really needed to add a change up and I learned how to add a change up. And that obviously became a bread and butter pitch for me. But, you know, it was the kind of thing that for me, like I said, I realized I didn't have the stuff to get away with mistakes very often. So I needed to stay out of the middle of the plate. And, and I just really learned how to throw the ball where I wanted to, particularly my fastball. And, and whether it was throwing it for a strike or throwing it a little bit off the plate to try and get somebody to expand the zone or throwing it in the dirt to try and get somebody to chase. I mean, those are all things that 
again, I, I practice. And I think that was one of the things that w- was one of my driving forces, uh, so to speak, was I was, you know, I, I never ended a season and thought, you know what? That was great. Everything I did was great. I don't need to change a thing. There was always something that I felt like I could do better from the year before. And, and I think that not only drove me, but it also gave me a little bit of a curiosity factor to, to, see, to say to myself, okay, you know, man, you're, you're really good at locating this pitch here. Can you locate it on the other side of the plate? Or, you know, you're really good at doing this in this situation. Can you do it in that situation? And I think that that drive to be better and that curiosity to see how good I could be was a big part of why I was successful. You know, when I think about the run of the Braves right now, and there's a, you know, obviously there's going to be a ton of appreciation uh, down there in the South for what you guys did. And it was funny watching Chipper Jones boot a ball in the stands, but it's like, like think about Uh your era to where they are now. And it's the first time the Braves are going to the world series since 1999. And there's some A's in that clubhouse too, with our, our, our buddies, uh, Walt Weiss and Ron Washington, who we've, we've had on the program. Just just how nice is it to see your Braves are back in the World Series? And by the way, they're red hot, and no one wants to battle a red hot team. Yeah, no, to your first point, yeah, those those uh, two former A's are, um, you know, two guys that I love on that coaching staff. Uh, had a chance to play with Walt, obviously, and, and I love Walt. Uh, he was a great player. He's a great coach, and, and I wouldn't be surprised to see either one of those guys or both uh, get a managerial job this off season. But yeah, yeah. To your point, yeah, the Braves are hot and, and they're playing good baseball and nobody wants to play a hot team. Right. Um, and it's always that age old discussion. And when it gets, when you get to the end of the season and into a postseason, you know, do you want your team to be that team that goes down to the wire and you're battle tested going into the postseason, or do you want to be able to have some rest? And, and I think in a perfect world, you'd like to have a little bit of both. Um, I think in the Braves case, look, they, they, they obviously had a, a difficult season to some extent, you know, and, and I remember when they clinched their division, I talked to Smith and, you know, I was his, his feelings were that in many ways, this was the most gratifying year because they couldn't get out of their own way for three quarters of the season. Uh, and then they, they got on a roll and they got hot. And, and fortunately for them, when they were kind of scuffling, nobody in the division took charge. Nobody ran away with it. So they were always in it. And then they got hot. And in a perfect world, yeah, you're 100% right. They, they do what every team wants to do, which is they had a great two months of the two final two months of the season. They carried it into the postseason and they're hot. And they're a team, you're right, the teams don't want to play. Now, you can make the same argument for, for Houston. Um, I think you get to this stage of the game. And, and while we can all sit down and, and try and go position by position, which team's better, who has the edge, it's really razor thin as to who has the edge in this, in this series. And it's going to come down to the same thing every short series does. Who can get a key hit? Who can make a key pitch or a key sequence of pitches? And who doesn't beat themselves? And, it, you know, every, every postseason uh, short series, anyway, seems to come down to those three things in some way, shape, or form. Let's end on this because, you know, whether, you know, in my career, I've worked in the NFL, I've worked in the NBA, Major League Baseball. I don't think people really understand how hard it is to win on the road. I don't care if it's basketball, football, baseball. And for me, the Braves last year, literally, they're having to play the Dodgers in Arlington. And the Dodgers hung out in Arlington for weeks 
There's no home field, but and now they took care of the Dodgers at home. But just talk about, you know, all the experiences that you had in the postseason. Just tell the fans winning on the road is not easy. It's not. I mean, and, and I would say in this, I say this with all fairness, because I have obviously didn't play the other sports um, at the professional level. I, I feel like baseball is probably the easier of the other three major sports. You know, I feel like it's super hard to win on the road uh, in football, basketball, and hockey. I just feel like momentum is such a big thing um, in those other sports. Not to say that it's not in baseball, but you know, I just feel like there's there's more if, of if you're if you're the better team, you can win home or road. I feel like things maybe even 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 out or swing a little bit more in the home team's advantage in some of those other sports. But having said that, it's still hard. I mean, you're going into um, a hostile environment. Uh, the ebbs and flow of momentum are real. Uh, you can feel it. Um, they play a big part in the game. So certainly the home team has that advantage on their side an awful lot. Um, and then you boil it down to two to, to some of the ballparks you're talking about going into, right? I mean, it, it was never easy to play out there in Oakland. It was never easy to play in San Francisco. Uh, it's never easy to play in New York or some of those other big cities because the crowds get on you and they're into the game. Uh, and, and that can be a tough thing. So, um, you know, I, I agree. It's, it's never easy to go on the road and win and in particular, um, you know, particularly late in games when, when you're, uh, you know, you're in a tight game and the home team, home team crowd is in it and trying to get their team going. Um, it, it's a lot to contend with. Well, something that you're going to know. So, uh, in the mid '90s, my last year playing college baseball was '95, and I be I end up being a an instructor at the Las Vegas School of Baseball, and your guy Greg Maddox would show up. If people really knew, like I got to hang out with Greg Maddox. If people re- like like you look at the classes, you he's a completely different guy than people think he is, right? No, he, he's the um, he's the baseball version of Clark Kent and Superman. I mean, you know, you, you you know, you you look at him off the baseball field, and you never think he was who he was on the baseball field. I mean, there was there was nothing imposing about him whatsoever. Uh, not a big guy, not a guy that you would look at and go, oh wow, he's in great shape, or or anything like that. And like you said, off the field when he when he's got his glasses on, it's like, who is this guy? And then, and it's like, well, he's one of the greatest pitchers you'll ever see. That's who he is, you know? So, it, but I think that's part of what made him so great. And, and really what made, you know, even John the same way, you know, both, you know, and I think all of us to a certain extent on the baseball field, we were what we were off the baseball field. I don't think we resembled what we were on the baseball field very much. We were all very unassuming. Uh, very easygoing, didn't take ourselves very seriously off the baseball field. Like we weren't, we weren't a big deal to ourselves or anything like that. But I think once that uniform went on and we crossed that line, uh, it, it was, it was a little bit different persona and, and, you know, we were going to go out there and get after it. Hey, let's be honest. You were the best athlete out of the three. There's no question. Oh, I tell them that all the time. I mean, John <laughs> can argue, Oh, I played basketball and whatever. I got drafted in two sports, dude. Mike dropped. You, you can't go there. So, yeah, there's no like, like if I'm putting my money on the three of you, 
I'm putting my money on you. There's no question. <laughs> well, it, well, it depends. If you're going to talk, you know, if you're going to, the other sport's going to be uh, hockey. Obviously, I've got a clear-cut advantage. But multi, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, as much as it pains me, he's a pretty darn good athlete. Like, he's one of those guys that, um, and, and I think it was a big part of how he pitched, but um, he's one of those guys that if you challenge him to do something, he's going he's gonna to try and do it. Uh, and there isn't much that he doesn't think he can't do. Uh, and, and that kind of makes him dangerous. Well, I, yeah, when he qualified for the senior U.S. Open, you're like, uh, that's, that's a lot of respect. I mean, you're playing against some of the greatest <laughs> players sure. of all time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and he always used to – he would always talk about that. Oh, when I get done playing, I'm going to play in the senior tour. And I'd just scratch my head and say, John, you realize that, you know, we're 30, 35 years old right now, and all these guys that we're watching on the PGA Tour are going to be on the senior tour when your turn – comes up to me on the senior tour and you've spent all this time playing baseball and they're spending all their time golfing. What makes you think you can compete with that? And, and he just thought he could. Well, let me tell you this as someone who not only grew up watching you, but then covering you and having, having you on my program. Now I, I can't tell you, I've, I've the ultimate respect. You had one of the greatest careers of all time. You're a baseball Hall of Famer, and whenever we can have you on, it's an absolute honor. So be well, be safe, and thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Anytime, and uh, you'd be safe, too. The great Tom Glavin, one of the greatest pitchers in the history of the game. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Always enjoy having Tom Glavin on. Well, the GOAT, Chris Russo, he's in the Radio Hall of Fame. You see him on television, MLB Network, and also the king of sports radio on Sirius XM. Nobody better than Chris Russo. He is the man. The great mad dog, Chris Russo, joined us on A's Cast Live. Well, now joining us, he is a Radio Hall of Famer. He's the greatest sports radio personality that we have in the business, of course, a wonderful television host on MLB Network. The great Mad Dog Chris Russo joins us here on A's Cast Live. Chris, how are you? How have you been? Christopher, good to be on, buddy. How you doing? Things good? Uh, things are really good, and the, this postseason has just been super exciting. It's been great watching you on MLB Network, and I'm just wondering, do we have deja vu all over again with the Dodgers and the Braves like what happened last year in Arlington, Texas? I think it's too much to ask for the Dodgers to win, you know, essentially six elimination games against Atlanta in back-to-back years. Remember, there's only been eight teams in the NLCS history to come from 3-1 down or ALCS history to win a series. Dodgers are one of the eight. To ask them to do it again is probably a little too much. Uh, that was a hell of a win last night. I did not think they'd win. Uh, you know, obviously with Scherzer and Ian Anderson on uh, Saturday night, you got to give L.A. the edge. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, the Braves will figure out a way to win a game at home. Uh, Charlie Morton uh, on Sunday is a big game pitcher. Bueller has not been as good. Uh, so I guess I can see L.A. winning game six. Braves win game seven. Um, I think the uh, – listen, I wouldn't – I mean, I, I just think it's asking a little too much for the Dodgers. 
and they've had a you know very expansive year with 106 regular season wins, going down to the wire with the Giants, then to turn around and win three elimination games, six in a row. They're seven and zero in elimination games right now. To make it nine in two years without a loss, to me, is asking a little too much. So I do think Atlanta will win one of the next two. Hopefully, we'll get a game seven though on Sunday night. Yeah, just how much bigger is it for Atlanta this year is that it's not – you don't have to win these games in Arlington, Texas. Now you go back home to your own ballpark. Big plus. Yeah, it's not a neutral site game. Uh, That's a huge plus. To get the last at bat, that's a huge plus. Uh, I I think the – listen, I could see the Braves losing tomorrow night and then having a sleepless Saturday night into Sunday. But I do think just the odds. You know, let's face it. You're up 3-2, two games at home. You're a pretty good team, winning culture. You've had a great stretch here. You should be able to win a game. Uh, the Dodgers are a little banged up, so you got to keep that in mind, too. Obviously, no Turner, no Joe Kelly, uh, no Muncie. I think I think Atlanta will get one of the two. I don't know which one. Uh, wouldn't it be stunned if it went all the way down to 1130 on Sunday night? But I think the Braves will get one of two. Well, every great movie has to have a villain, and we have our villain. That's the Houston Astros. And they go back home where at Minute Maid Park, they just they, they, they don't lose. Do you give Boston any chance? I give them a chance tonight. Uh, yeah, I kind of feel the same way about the Astros that I do against about Atlanta. I think it's very, very difficult to have to win, uh, you know, very hard for the Red Sox as it is for L.A. I got to figure that the Astros win one of two in their ballpark. Now, listen, they don't have a good pitching matchup tonight. Avaldi is very, very good, and obviously – you know, Garcia has been banged around here these two times the Red Sox have seen him. I also have a lot of confidence in Cora. They're 17-7 and seven with Cora as a postseason manager. And until the other day, they had never lost two in a row. He had been 5-0 and oh off defeats. Uh, I, I think the Red Sox will get tonight. I think the day off might help them a little bit. Uh, tomorrow, you know, all, uh, all gloves off. Uh, I give the Astros the edge. I think there's a good chance you'll see game seven there, too. But again, like Atlanta, Chris, I just don't see the Astros losing two in a row in that little building in back in, in um, you know, when they can go to the World Series for Dusty. So I think the Astros will get a game. I think the Braves will get a game. They may not be into the seventh game, but I think each will win one of the two. You know, we always love talking Hall of Fame with you. And, you know, I covered Dusty way back when, when he was with the San Francisco Giants. And, you know, the one thing that just Dusty doesn't have on his resume is a World Series title. Well, let's say the Astros just get to the World Series. Does this finally get him over the line where you go, come on, look what he did as a player, look what he's done as a manager, all these different teams he's led to the postseason. Dusty Baker should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I don't think I think he's got to win one. Remember, Gil Hodges is not in the Hall of Fame either, and he had the 69 Mets, and Gil had 370 career home runs. He was as good a player, probably a little better than Dusty, uh, and he hit 370 home runs, and he played for an iconic team in Brooklyn. So if he's not in the Hall of Fame, uh, I don't know how you put Dusty in without a title. It's also not that easy to get into the Hall of Fame as a manager. There's not a lot of managers in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, Bochy's on his way. We understand that. Uh, but there's not a ton of them that are in that Hall of Fame. So to me, Dusty's going to have to win a title. Yes, I know five different teams postseason. Yes, I know, uh, you know, he's done a hell of a job, and he's an, he's an excellent manager, and I know playing thing can't hurt, but I do think he needs a championship. So, to me, Dusty's got to win one for some serious consideration. 
Uh, and I think he's got a hell of I listen, I, I, does he have a chance? I don't know if they beat L.A. if L.A. actually got to a World Series. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Astros would be a slight favorite against Atlanta if, in fact, those are the two participants there next week. So, But I think he has to win one, Chris. I think you got to win a championship to get in. You know, uh, Don, Nelson, Don Nelson's barely in the Hall of Fame in basketball, and he never coached in a final, and he was a very good player, too. So I think you got to win a title. Let's have him win a title before we talk about Hall of Fame candidacy. I don't want to get away from the playoffs, but I love when you guys do the Hall of Fame show with you and Brian Kenny on MLB Network, and you guys start chalking it up. And I just think about, you know, this is the last hurrah on the ballot when you look at guys like Bonds, Clemens, Schilling. Do you think any of these guys get in? I think Schilling's got a good chance to get in. I know he doesn't want to get in now. He doesn't like the procedure. I think he's eventually, you know, he's got 60-something percent of the vote. I think he'll jump. I think he'll barely get in. Uh, I don't think Bonds and Clemens will. Um, uh, but I do think that, uh, you know, I think those two guys are too far behind last year in the ballot. I don't see them getting the 75%. I can see Schilling making it. So from a Schilling perspective, I can see it. Uh, you know, Mussina made it a couple of years ago. Schilling's as good as Mussina. Uh, you know, you can make an argument that Schilling in a big game is better than Mussina. Mussina, better body of work uh, than Kurt. Uh, I think Schilling will get in, you know, much to his uh, chagrin because he's annoyed that he's had to wait this long. But I think Schilling, more than Bonds and Clemens, Chris, will get in the Hall of Fame this year. You know, I told our audience that there's no chance Billy Bean is going to work for the Mets. We had Billy on the program recently. We had a really long interview with him that we did on, you know, because we normally do. And I can't wait to have you on our set where we actually do our show during the season from the field. And Bean has always talked about, hey, listen, I want to be able to go to Starbucks and no one knows who I am. And that's why he's so comfortable here in the East Bay. And uh, I don't see him going anywhere unless he's going to bolt to soccer somewhere else. But when you look at that Mets job, because Billy has said it is a good job, what is going on with the Mets? Why is it so hard for them to find the right people? Well, that's a very fair point. Now, you know, they had Deuce, they had the uh, Zachs, they had the two guys there, Porter and Scott, both have, uh, you know, run into some problems. So they're out. Um, you know, uh, I don't, you know, oh, you figured Theo wasn't going to take the job. I think they'd love to get Dave Stearns, but these mid-market teams do not want to be proving grounds for the major market teams with their executives. Stearns has got two years left in his contract, uh, so they couldn't get him. Uh, you know, I know they wanted to talk to Bean. I know that Billy took his name out of the hat there. Um, you know, you can make an argument that Billy needs to win a championship to go to the Hall of Fame. That's my argument. You can say that what he's done in Oakland is is warranted. Uh, I'd like to have a championship, and he doesn't have that. I understand the A's, uh, you know, are working behind with their payroll. I thought he might take that job. I don't know what the reason was why he said no. I know he's got a little uh, ownership interest. Maybe he would have had a device to uh, divest himself of that. I thought he might take it, so that did surprise me. Uh, you know, I'm hearing Josh Burns. Maybe that's a possibility. Uh, you know, maybe owners or GMs are a little worried about Steve Cohen. And, oh, he's going to be on that Twitter feed. Remember, to be a GM, you got to control your owner. You can control, you know, the message that is sent out to the media. You can control your manager. You can control your front office. But the one person you cannot control is your owner. And Cohen is a guy, he's a longtime Met fan. He wants to be a talk show host. And Cohen is one of those guys that is going to tweet, going to tell you what is on his mind. And I think that scares the people, uh, scares a few people off. So 
Uh, I think that is something that you get. You know, what are you going to do? Tell the owner not to tweet? He can do anything he wants. Not the team. So from that standpoint, that is something that maybe it bothers uh, some prospective GMs. They get somebody. Event- I don't think it's Sandy. Uh, I-, I think it's the owner who, and I think it's, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, the Mets haven't won in a long time. They got the Yankees here. Fan base can be fickle. The Mets are all going after cream of the crap guys. I mean, it's not like they're going after assistant GMs. I mean, Stearns is a GM. He's signed. He's a big GM. Obviously, Theo won two championships going to the Hall of Fame. Billy, big-time GM. It's not like they're going off guys that we've never heard of. They're going off the top of the charts there. And, you know, so far they have been a little unlucky. They get somebody. I'm hearing Burns of L.A. Uh, he's talked about how he wants to build his franchise like the Dodgers do with theirs. We shall see if that's the person who they end up getting. Let's end on this. You know, a few years ago, I got a new car and just addicted when I'm in my car to XM and listening to your channel, which is second to none. And I also love uh, MLB radio channel 89, which is fantastic. And I think about us as you do it on TV, we do it here where we talk baseball year round, right? There's not many people that do a year around baseball show. And it just makes right. me think of the CBA coming up here uh, in December. There's so much money to be made by owners. There's so much money to be made by players. You think that cooler heads, I, I know Tony Clark. I played baseball with him as a kid. And I just want to reach out to Tony. There's too much money to screw this thing up. How do you think this is going to play out with this, this CBA coming up here in December? I don't think we're going to have a a typical winter. I think there'll be major problems in December, January. I think maybe by the beginning of spring training, there'll be a little pressure on a deadline. I think then maybe you'll see something. I know a lot of people think that, uh, you know, the players are making a mistake if they rush a new deal in March, because then you're going to have a bunch of free agents who are going to be scrambling for teams. And that is not a positive. But the players want to win here in the worst way. I think they probably want the system change, which I don't think they're entirely going to get. Uh, I think there's a major problem, too, because I don't think the owners know exactly who they are negotiating with. I think a lot of it has to do with Boris. I think, you know, Bruce Meyer worked, worked for him. I think Boris controls a lot with what's going on with the union. And, you know, he can be an extremist at times. So that will be something that will be bear, will, that will be bear, bear watching. Um, I, you know, Manfred is a very good negotiator. He's done this for 25 years. I don't think Bruce Meyer and Dan Halem love each other. I think that's another problem. I think this will take a while. Um, I don't think next year will be compromised. I think the winter time will. I think it will take a while. I'd be very surprised if by December 1st there's a deal. I think it will be sometime, you know, late spring and maybe two, three weeks before the season. That, that when the pressure really hits. If they don't have it in the wintertime, they don't have it in the wintertime. They miss the winter meetings. No big deal. Uh, you know, you got plenty of time to put your teams together if they have a, a deal before spring training. I think the real deadline is spring training, not December 1st. I think eventually you'll get a deal, but I don't think you're going to get a deal there necessarily, Chris, by, just by 12-1. I think it's going to be later than that, to be honest with you. Well, the last time we were all together was, and we saw you in person, was the winter meetings in San Diego. And that was the big splash there by Garrett Cole. Even if we don't have a deal yet, could you see any of the big name guys signing before? Uh, I don't. Uh, I think they're going to want to. I think GMs are going to want to know what the system is. Uh, they're going to want to know if there's a luxury cap increase or decrease. 
They're going to want to know if there is a floor. We know there'd be a ceiling. Will there be a floor? Which, if there was, that would increase uh, teams being interested in big free agents. Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, I think November, first off, the World Series doesn't end until that first week in November. So you only got three weeks to go after that until you have uh, into the de- until the deal is up, expires. Again, I think the players want to win in the worst way. Enough of getting omelets in spring training, which is what they wanted last time. And, you know, single rows on buses in spring training. I think they want something concrete. I think it will take a while. Uh, I don't think you're going to have the deal done right away. I don't think there's going to be a lot of winter activity in baseball. And this is just me talking. I don't know. I'm just giving you my opinion. I think by, you know, March 1st, I think you'll see some movement, not by December 1st. Well, he is the GOAT, ladies and gentlemen, whether it's MLB Network or it is Sirius XM. He's the Hall of Famer, Chris Russo. Chris, we always appreciate your time. Be well, be safe, and let's talk soon. Good job, Chris. Thanks for having me on, pal. Always a pleasure. Always appreciate. Yeah, I love having that guy on. He's the GOAT. He's just not, you know, it's like, it's funny. It's like Bay Area Sports Radio Hall of Fame. That's awesome. But there actually is a radio Hall of Fame that is for everybody who's been in radio. News talk, opinion, politics, sports home and gardening, whatever whatever genre you're in. Chris Russo's in the Radio Hall of Fame. He's a big deal. He's made millions off SiriusXM. They paid him millions to leave WFAN. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. From one great voice on SiriusXM to another, Mike Farron has been covering baseball for years, used to work for the Arizona Diamondbacks, but you can hear him on the Power Alley on Sirius XM MLB channel. Here's our buddy, Mike Farron. And I look at Mike right now. God, it is great to see you. How are you? I'm good. It's great to see you. Well, I'm going to tell you this now. So there, <laughs> there's in-season townie and there's off-season townie. And off season Tony is trucker hats and apparently in an undisclosed location somewhere in a bunker. But that allows some artwork or something. Should <laughs> <laughs> I put like fake books behind me? <laughs> we've been we've been working at home for almost two years now, and you can't get a better background than that. Like that's like zero out of ten on the Zoom calls app. A it's straight carpet padding, and by the way, no one can hear me. I could scream is like, so that's why it's like a sound studio for all my commercials and everything. Like I could scream and my neighbors can't hear me, Uh huh. but you know what? You're right. Maybe I need to put like a fake bookshelf or put something to make me, you know, put my degree behind me or just get some like A's artwork or something. Do something, pull something like the, all those guys that are doing all the cool drawings and stuff of like, like classic players or like the, the baseball card art, you know, Ricky, like put that behind you. That'd be perfect. You know, what's the worst is if you've written a book and you have your book behind you, that you is like, like passing. Oh, it, it, well, yeah, well, I was going to go, I wasn't going to say anybody in our sport. I was going to no, go like, it's passing. 
if you watch the guys like, you know, it's CNN or whatever, the guy comes on, he's got his books behind him. Like, come on, really? You're that Cassin guy. has his turn so you can see the cover of it. <laughs> I haven't written a book. Maybe, you know, maybe, just maybe. Um, but, what would but, the title of your book be? Hang on a second. This is be like, like uh, how would you describe what you would do as your book? A's announcer doing a book. What would it be? Well, I'm known as a straight shooter, and you know, I I I, I would like to say my way, kind of like off Sinatra. Like I've done it my way. I got to a point in my career where I said, you know what? I'm like Liam Hendricks. I said I'm either <laughs> succeeding or I'm failing doing it my way. And if you don't like it, I'll figure out something else to do. Mm-hmm. But I'm, you know what? Screw everybody. I'm going down my road. And that's kind of been the great thing about the A's is they've always appreciated like, hey, do what you do. I think that's why the A's and I have been a perfect fit. Most teams would have, would have been freaked out about stuff that I say after games and on and on this show. But the A's have always, you know what? Here's the title. The A's allowed me to be me. Oh, there you go. And then it'll just be you. See, th- what they did is they allowed you to be you so you can kiss up to them the rest of your career. That's really good. <laughs> That's great. I like getting paid, my friend. <laughs> but off-season townie, I'm now – it just happened today. I got nine in before I had to do this show. Nice. Off-season town, because, you know, I'm up late doing these calls, so it's tough to get you and the Duke – in the morning, because you guys are in the morning here on the West Coast. I don't even know how you do it. But now I can get back into the power alley on Sirius XM. Well, we had a thoroughly mediocre show this morning for you to enjoy. So that's good. So I'm kind of excited because you are my you guys like now that, you know, now that I have XM, like I don't even listen to radio. Yeah, I even got my kids into it and they like Kiss FM, which is like Channel 11 out of L.A. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, so I'm back in listening to you every day because you guys, really, your show is fantastic. Thanks. Well, we have a little bit of fun on occasion. So, um, I mean, listen, like, Tony, we talked about it before. I mean, like, a lot of people end up treating all this stuff like it's life and death. And in the end, man, it's just baseball, right? Like, we love baseball. I think that's the one thing I really appreciate about Duke is that, you know, as much as the game has evolved in the 30 years he's been involved with it, he still loves it. I mean, we can see things that happen in today's game that maybe we're not a big fan of, but I think you can look back at stuff that happened 20 years ago and go, well, I'm not a big fan of what that trend was too. And so you take it all with a grain of salt. And there are so many national announcers and analysts that just bag on baseball for the sake of bagging on baseball. And I think that's bull. You know, like this is this is fun. I mean, this is like we get paid to talk about baseball for a living. Like this is a stupid job. As Boog Shambi likes to say, we 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 chose to play in the toy department. <laughs> so like getting to play with the toys is pretty cool most of the time. And I'm really excited about this postseason. We're kind of bummed though, you know. I am um, too. We 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 taped Bob Melvin earlier today, our last Bob Melvin show, and you know, knowing Bob the way I do over the years. There, there's major disappointment. I mean, the A's haven't been in the playoffs three straight years. We go back to August 12th. The A's, according to Fangraphs, on August 12th, had a 62.5% chance to make the postseason. And then all of a sudden started, started circling the, the drain. So people will be like, well, you won 86 games. You're 10 games over 500. But, you know, for the A's going into this, the, the offseason, a bad taste in our mouths, no question about it. I understand that. I mean, I think the team, you know, the 2021 for the A's was like it was for a lot of teams that 
were kind of stuck in the middle where they were good teams that everything had to break right for them to make the postseason. And for a while, everything was breaking right. But the problem was that they, they spent the first four months of the year. And I realized that, that, you know, they had this, you know, a two thirds chance or three fifths chance of making the postseason into the middle of August, but they spent a good chunk of the year, you know, not being deep enough. And um, they were able to address it at the trade deadline mercifully, you know, in, in the deals that they made and specifically like adding, like I thought the Harrison and Gomes trade was like, was really smart just to get deeper, you know, the Marte trade, gosh, imagine what the last, you know, six weeks would have been like after Laureano was suspended. If, if Marte hadn't been there, you know, so I I think that there were a couple of things that kind of, you know, were endemic to this season and to the path that, that, um, a lot of teams' ownerships put them down that impacted the A's this year. But, I mean, listen, it's still a good, talented core group, and my hope is that they can spend some of the winter augmenting it with guys that can help to get them back there because I, I think it's – like, I, you know, I love the Mats. Like, they're great. And Bassett, Montas, and the rotation, like, Manaya, like, it's really good. Like, there there are good – star quality core pieces there that you should be able to build on, but build upon to compete for a playoff berth in 2022. You know, you know, once we got eliminated, once you get that E behind your name, mm-hmm. the, 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 the focus of all the shows, whether it's this one, A's cast live or the A's clubhouse show became about, okay, what's next? The off season. And normally I have pretty good answers of what I think. Will this guy stay? Will this guy go? Is he signable? Like Marte turns 33 next week. And, you know, can we retain him and what would it take? And I was for the first time and really in my career, like, I don't know, because I don't know what's going to happen with the CBA until we know the rules. Right. The CBA Players Union, Tony Clark, Manfred, get this thing together. We don't know if there's going to be a floor. We don't know what the ceiling's going to be when we talk about salaries. We don't know what the roster size is going to be. Uh, there's going to be talk uh, potentially of expansion. Would you agree that we probably won't see much from players signing and much of an offseason until there's a gr- an agreement between the players' union and the owners? So, yes, but probably for none of the reasons that you've listed. I think in the end, the structure of what we see going forward is probably not going to look – all that much different than the structure of what we have right now. And there is always the possibility that we continue to play out a rather normal winter while negotiations continue. I'm not a labor law expert, but I'm going to play one on the radio show because I had to delve into that law school. Did you go to? (laughs) (laughs) I was in the law firm, Dewey Cheatham and Howe. That's the, (laughs) that's the firm that I was But um, my understanding is that when things are collectively bargained, that just because the agreement ends doesn't mean that you have to have a work stoppage. You don't have to have, in this case, it would be a lockout from the owners, um, or you don't have to have a strike as you get to the end of an agreement from from a a union. Um, You can continue to work, uh, according to the, the National Labor Relations Board, under the current agreement until you agree to a new one. And the NBA had that happen for, I think it was something like two years while they hammered one out um, where they played under an old agreement. So that's possible. I think the lack of action is going to be more a result of if there is a lockout, 
that there will be a transaction freeze as part of that, like we saw going into the 1995 season. Remember the players struck at the end of 94. What people don't remember is that once the calendar flipped to 95, it was the owners who locked out the players then at that point. And that's what extended into the first part of uh, the season canceling. What was it? 18 games in 95. I think they played 144. So, so I think that there's, there's that part of it. And if you remember back there were some transactions that were made that were kind of on hold. I love the NBA. Like when you make that deal on draft night and you can't announce it for like three weeks, like yeah. that was kind of <laughs> what happened. So so I think that that's probably more likely what you would see happen if there is a work stoppage. But I can't I, – I don't see there being that significant a change to the structure. I mean, the roster sizes are 26. They've already negotiated that, right? I mean, that was supposed to be in play for 2020. Um, that And that was a concession for reducing the number of players that could be up in September and knowing that options were still a result. And and I think we agree that 28 players in September is plenty, right? We don't need the 40-man rosters anymore um, for it. So, I mean, there's, there's advantages to that. So they've already negotiated that part, and I don't see that changing any. Everything that we're talking about has to do more with the financial structure of the game, less from cap and floor, because that stuff's not going to fly. What it'll be is more like service time, um, minimum salary, um, whether or not players can get to arbitration faster or not. There's been some talk of, of you know, the idea of players hitting free agency a year too early, which I actually think benefits owners more than it does the players. Um, so there are a couple of other things that that are being discussed that are more strategic in that realm as opposed to having some sort of massive change that would completely turn around the way the system looks now if there's a work stoppage and it gets nasty and we're you know a year from now and haven't played a game then you might see some significant changes to what the the financial structure is going to be but i think that the right now the shots that have, have been um let or, or I shouldn't say the shots. The the ideas that have been thrown around from both sides are probably from the margins uh, of the the maybe the most hawkish owners and the most hawkish players, and the the actual proposals will fit much more likely along the current lines. Yeah, I'm just hoping. I mean, let's Me too. Make, there's so much money out there. This isn't like when we were little kids in the 70s or the 80s. The amount of money that is out there. You'd just be stupid to screw this thing up. I understand negotiations and everybody wants their piece of the pie, but any 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 skipping of games, especially when there's still a lot of people out of work because of the pandemic, and there's billions of dollars out there, it just wouldn't. It would be such a bad look. What are we doing here? I agree, and I think it's from both sides. I mean, the money that's coming to owners is significantly more, as is the money from players. And I think that that's part of the issue that we have is that, you know, maybe there are – I mean, listen, the, you can attest to this working in Oakland. I can attest to working in, in Phoenix. You know, the, there's a lot of difference in the revenue that comes into the teams versus what happens in New York. But you're never going to even that all the way out. And why are the Yankees going to give up all the revenue that they make to everybody? This isn't the NFL. We're not playing once a week. We don't have just one, you know, national TV contracts that you can split 32 ways. There's going to be a regional aspect to this. Um, and, and from the player standpoint, like, Listen, some of the issues that get a lot of attention, like the service time issue, I agree that that the best players should be on the field faster. I think as a fan, you want to see that. 
But we're talking about this impacting one, maybe two players a year. It's a it's impacting the elite level players more than it is the rank and file. Hell, if the union really wanted to fight for the rank and file, they would try and ensure that if play, if teams valued service time, that they valued every year of service time, because the number of non-tenders that are going on the free agent market help to drive down the price for other free agents. So it, it, all of these things you're right are are very much first world problems. And the ugliness of a work stoppage, you know, we remember 94 and 95. It was awful. We probably got a healthy dose of a reminder of what that was like in the way that the two sides fought in 2020. It is beyond absurd to me that these two sides would not come to some sort of an agreement, even if it's just a temporary agreement based on the bounds of the current collective collective bargaining agreement that would allow them to stop playing games in 2022. I think it is so beyond foolish for all of the reasons that you outlined. And now here we go into the postseason. Everybody is zero and zero. And I even look at the wildcard teams, whether you talk about the Dodgers you talk about the Cardinals, Red Sox, Yankees. It's anybody's game at this point. If you had to bet on one team right now, I'm putting you. You're going to go a little north, and I'm putting you in a sports book in Las Vegas. <laughs> and you got to put your money. Hey, we've on got one at one Chase team. Field now, but I'm not allowed to bet on baseball. I'm a I'm a team employee. Come on. Well, if you were not a team employee, let's say you worked for the Arizona Cardinals, and you were able <laughs> to bet on this. Who would you put your money on? Sons and four. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Tom Chambers is not walking through that door. Um, I think I, you know, I, I've been on the White Sox bandwagon for a long time, and I really like that team a lot. They're healthier. They've got a question, I guess, at the back of the rotation, but the bullpen is actually kind of sneaky good when you start getting down to just the big arms that they have. So you've got Hendricks, Kimbrel. Kopech, Crochet, Aaron Bummer, who threw the heck out of the ball the last uh, month of the season. I think it's a really good team. I think, you know, Tampa Bay is has got tremendous arms, but there's a good chance that they start four rookies in the division series. I think those guys probably, from a stuff standpoint, can handle it, but I don't like their depth of arms as much as I liked it a year ago. Um, they're, they're a sneaky good offensive team, but I think that against swing and miss pitching staffs, you can have some some success with them. I think Houston's the most complete offense. I think the White Sox have the most complete pitching staff. I think that, to me, is where the the uh, American League champion comes out of is that series. Can you imagine Tony La Russa at his age? And we just, we just had Tony on the program when the White Sox were in town. And we've dealt with Tony for years because of Arf and his relationship with the athletics. They were saying he's too old. He's not going to be able to lead this team. Can you imagine your prediction, Tony La Russa taking the White Sox to the World Series? Well, I like to think that it's Jose Abreu that's helping to take the White Sox to the World Series and Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito. I mean, I think it's their talent that has helped to drive it. I think Tony has pushed the right buttons, and I think he's one of the best managers of a bullpen in a postseason series that you're going to find. I think even, I don't think any of that has changed. He basically created sabermetric-based matchups in the bullpen. Like you can thank him and Rick Honeycutt for three-hour and twenty-minute games. <laughs> you know, like I mean, that, that's like that's where it comes from is from Tony. So I think Tony 
with a good bullpen and solid rotation has so many weapons at his disposal that it just makes it easier to manage. And plus, I I mean, I love that division series for him and Dusty together. I love Dusty. Dusty's one of my all-time favorites. Dusty, to me, should be – there should be a category for baseball's Hall of Fame that encompasses entire careers, and Dusty should be in as a player, manager. Everything he's done in the game warrants that. Plus, he's the coolest human being that ever lived. And, and like – they they have a history together too, and so I I'm I mean I I think that that series is fascinating, and you guys see it. Houston's offense is just like they don't look like anybody else. They're what everybody else is trying to get to, right? They get on base, they don't strike out, they hit dingers. They're they're really really good, and so um, you know that's going to be a challenge even for a team with as good a pitching staff as the White Sox have. And listen, that's not to discount the Rays or. You know, I, I don't think that, that either the Yankees or Red Sox are quite as good as those other teams. But once you get to the tournament, it doesn't matter. The best team doesn't always win. You love this. Earlier this season. So what we did was it would be me leading it, but we'd get Ray Fossey to talk to a legend. And we did basically 45 minutes with Dusty Baker when he was in town. And I, oh. got, to, I got to cover Dusty back in the day, uh, days when he was with the Giants. I'll never forget when he came back from prostate cancer. He said something I'll never forget. Tomorrow is promised to nobody. But we had Dusty Baker on for 45 minutes. It, it was really, really special. And we've been talking about expanding the playoffs. And I know hardcore baseball people hate it. But when we talk about the NFL, we talk about the NBA, the NHL, college football, college basketball, hell, we can go into golf. When you've expanded stuff, it doesn't lose in revenue. It works for television. And we've got a team that has 106 wins playing in a wild card game. Do we need to think about that going forward? Um, I think regardless of whether or not we need to think about it going forward, it's definitely going to be one of the things that's discussed most significantly um, on in the CBA, because you're right. It's, you know, like, like let's, let's focus on what's really important in extended playoffs is that it means more revenue. I mean, that's what it is. The TV contracts are designed to um, at least the one specifically with ESPN that they have is designed to, um, you know, pay out more based on an expanded postseason, which benefits the owners and, and theoretically benefits the players. If the players change a little bit, the way the share of postseason um, revenue goes. So I think, you know, to me, I think that it's almost a fait accompli. I'm not a huge fan of it. I don't, I mean, I like watching the one game playoff because I like the drama of it, but I've never been a fan of the idea that, you know, I used to use the example, you could have a team that's separated by seven games from another lose in a one game playoff. How is that fair? Well, it's 16 games difference between the Dodgers and the Cardinals and the Dodgers could go home. I mean, the Dodgers basically have proven that they're a great team all season long. The Cardinals played great for three weeks, you know, and found themselves in that game because of the nature of the national league this year. So I, I don't, I don't like the current format in that regard, but I also don't love the idea of including seven teams in each league. I think it's a lot, but I think the other thing is, and this is, this is where I, regardless of what ends up happening, can divorce myself of it. There's two different things that are at play here. The major league regular season is the grind. That's the, that's the premier league, right? Like that's the, there, we should do more to honor those teams that finish with the best record over the course of a 162 game schedule. You know, it's a grind. Like it's, it's a completely different beast than the playoffs. So we should, 
be more in line with like celebrating the giants and what they've done for as long as we possibly can. And then also there's a tournament and there'll be a tournament champion and that's who wins the world series. It's just, it's completely different. The more teams that you include, the less your chance is the the fewer chances you have to actually crown the best team other than the team that plays best over the course of the tournament. And that's, that's where, how I separated in my mind. Well, let's end on this. You know, we talk to every single manager when they come into town, but there's only one guy that wants to do it by video and he wants to be in person. That's Tori Lovello, former Oakland athletic. And ever since we got to know him, down at the Witter meetings in San Diego. He always wants to be on video. He wants to see us. I, I know it was a rough year down in the Valley of the Sun, but I got to tell you, we were so happy here from an A standpoint because we really like the guy. The fact that he is coming back because we know he's a bright mind. He's a terrific leader. Sometimes things just don't work out and your team is not good. It's not his fault. Just talk about Tori coming back there with the Snakes. Yeah, so, I mean, listen, I, I – I'm sure that this will be judged with a grain of salt because I am a D-backs broadcaster and employee, but I think even if I took off that hat on the national level and getting to know him as well as I have, I'm a huge Tori Lovello fan. I mean, he's one of my favorite people that I've come across in baseball, if not my favorite, um, because he is one of the most genuine human beings you've ever met. His level of care for anybody he meets is unbelievable and you can spend 10 minutes with him for the first time and feel like you've been friends for forever because he just cares about knowing about who you are as a person you know i think he's a pretty solid strategist who's gotten better especially on the offensive side he's gotten much more aggressive in trying to take advantage of matchup opportunities this year something he didn't do i think he could probably do a little bit more i think it's difficult to evaluate his bullpen management skills because he hasn't had very good bullpens But I think the fact that you saw a team that lost 110 games and didn't have, you know, somebody told me, I'll use this as an aside. Somebody told me years ago, we were talking about a Padres team. And I'm going to say Andy Green was the manager and they, they had their run differential was like that of a 105 loss team. And they ended up losing like 92 games. And I was talking to a scout about this and I was like, man, like they, they play hard. And he said, man, minor leaguers always play hard. Torrey had a lot of big leaguers on his club. He had some guys who were getting their first taste of the big leagues. But he, he also had a lot of guys that were major leaguers that played the entire season, guys that had several years in the game. And they continued to play hard all the way through. They continued to try and make adjustments on the mound. I think that speaks to his character and his leadership that he didn't let this miserable season, and it was miserable for him, get him down to the point or get that clubhouse down to the point where they, they stopped trying. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan. I thought it was a well-deserved contract extension. I think any team would be foolish to cut ties with a guy like that because I think he just stands for everything that you want an organization to stand for. So I'm thrilled for Tory. I'm really, really happy for him because I know he, he really believes that at some point they're going to win a World Series in Arizona and that he's going to be the manager for it. You know, I don't know if we're going to have a winter meetings. I mean, who knows? Sounds like as of yesterday, I heard that they were going to happen in Orlando. Like we're going to be able to travel and be a part of it? I mean, apparently. Well, I just, I can't wait till we can all see each other again. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's been weird. Like, like you know, all of a sudden, like Eric Nadell showed up and you're like the Hall of Famer. And we had him on our, you know, because we do our show from the yeah. field in Oakland. And, you know, we hadn't had anybody show up 
and so long, it was like shocking to see another broadcast. Dude, I went to the All-Star game, and it was like it felt so cathartic to be able to go and be there. And I'm going to do ALCS and World Series for Sirius. And I'm excited as much to get out on the road to see people face-to-face yeah. as anything. One of the reasons why, I mean, I love doing baseball. I'm assuming it's one of the reasons you do is baseball people like to talk, and they like to talk about baseball. And there's a lot of downtime, yeah, and that can get annoying when you're standing around waiting, but that downtime is generally filled with building friendships and relationships. It's a very big extrovert sport, you know, for those reasons. And and I think it it's, you know, I miss all of that. All of that. I miss seeing you. I even miss seeing Cody. Like I miss well, seeing let's you be really guys. like really. That's how desperate things have gotten. <laughs> You know what? I can't wait to buy you a beer. I can't wait to drink it. <laughs> well, you be well, my friend. And I can you tell you, that. now that it's the off season, I'm getting up early and playing golf. You know I'll be listening. You guys truly are my favorite show. Well, I appreciate it, man. It's good to talk to you guys. Enjoy the playoffs. And, and you know, when we say something goofy, make sure you text about it. Oh, yeah, I will. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> All right, pal. Take care. Be well and be safe. See you later. Yep, you guys too. Take care. The great Mike Farron from Sirius XM, the MLB channel. What a great guy he is. We'd like to thank Tom Glavin, Chris Russo, and Mike Farron for stopping by A's Cast Live. And thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 